Welcome to episode 21 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Sincere thanks to the many people who have supported this endeavour. 21 episodes into this venture, and each episode, in my mind, is teaching us about who has come before us and reminds us that some parts of the game repeat, no matter what era the game is played in. Again, it is a privilege to be recording people's thoughts, and it is a privilege to have people listening. Thank you. This episode's interviewee has been involved in the game for over 60 years, and apart from a couple of seasons at Coromel as a junior, this man is synonymous with Balambi Soccer Club. Robert Banks has vast experience and knowledge of the game in the Illawarra, and is still involved to this day. I have met the man many times, have read about him many times, and have had people describe his exploits on and off the field. And with all of this in my mind, I thought it would be a very good interview. However, the 90 minutes I spent with him was far more impressive than what I had envisaged, as it was a pleasure listening to his memories, thoughts, and responses on his time in the game. Banksy is a very humble man. And as you will hear, he has had a wonderful career with many milestones. But the continual aspect of our conversation that warmed my heart was the regular occurrence that he meets up with his former clubmates, teammates and their partners. So with that in mind, let's get into this interview and please enjoy. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm in the uh, beautiful suburb of Winuna, and I'm here with Robert Banks, or Banksy as he's known. Welcome Banksy. Welcome. Um, I guess we'll, um, before we start off about um, your career, and and most people know you, um, and if they don't, I don't know where they've been, um, in terms of your time at Balambi, um, but can you talk a bit about, um, if you can, about your, your family's involvement um, in soccer? I was, I was born into a soccer family. My dad was a referee. He's a life member of uh, Illawarra referees. He was also a uh, secretary of Illawarra soccer. He's a life member of Illawarra soccer. Uh, he's also a life member of Blamby Soccer Club. Him, Fred Telfer, uh, Bill Creighton, Stan Gill, all started Blamby Soccer Club. Back in 57 they started, we actually played our first game on the existing ground in 58, but we did exist in the 1800s and early 1900s as a club, but uh, it folded, it was uh, reformed in 1958, but yeah, uh, my family were heavily involved, my sister actually was uh, probably the first female official of Billawarra Soccer, she was actually the registrar when my dad was secretary, so... uh, not many people would know that, but yeah, Diane, my sister, was the registrar of the Laura Soccer. And your, your dad's name was Peter, wasn't it? Peter, that's right. So, for you, are that is that your earliest memories of um, of of soccer? Is your your dad's involvement in, in the game? I always knew as a kid he was involved, but as a seven-year-old, I had an illness that necessitated me taking up sport to build my strength up and I had a mate across the road, Noel Telfer, whose dad also helped form the soccer club 
and he was playing soccer with Coromel, so along I went to Coromel with Noel, and started from there. Blamby Club started two years later, and in those days, you played for the club in the area that you lived in. The geogra- geographical boundaries. Geographical boundaries. So we had to leave Coromel and come to Blamby, and there was quite a few of us, uh, Tony Gould, Noel Telfer, Frank Brindley. We all left Coromel, came to Blamby, and we're all still friends to this day. So if it wasn't for the, I guess, the formation of the Blamby Club as it was then in 58, um, you would have probably been in that geographical area being in Coromel then? I would have been, yes. So what are your memories then of um, after playing a bit of junior soccer at, at Coromel of, of then coming to Blamby? Was it exciting for you guys as kids and friends to be part of a, your local club? It made it easier to get to training and things like that, but uh, it wasn't a, wasn't a thing at the time that we wanted to do because the team we had in Coromel was quite a good junior side and we had to break it up and uh, start again in another area. And we embraced it and we're still good friends to this day. We all go out every six or eight weeks. We go out for dinner as a family. Our wives are good friends, so it worked out for the better. And in terms of um, uh, Balambi... Um when it did reform then as a as a club again in in 58 um where was the ground and and what were the colors when they decided to reform the club there was no ground uh the ground that we are on now was the ground that was developed by the local community uh the original dressing sheds are where the neighborhood center is in blamby now um but when the neighborhood center started the sheds were demolished and rebuilt in the position they are to this present day um other than that uh what can i say it was just uh, a labor of love by the local community they built the ground from scratch uh, it was heavy uh, bushland all the way to blamby beach it was just vacant land uh, the local neighborhood uh, cut the trees down, levelled the land, uh, built the original dressing sheds, and it went from there. And it was the uh, red and green of, or green and red of Blamby were the colours? Red and green were the original colours of the original Blamby football team, and we just accepted red and green as our colour. And did you just play in um, stripes, or was it predominantly green with a red trim, or uh, what were those initial strips? Every club in those days had quarters. Quarters. Everyone played in quarters, <laughs> red and green quarters. It was just, uh, I think, um, the more I uh, look at some pitches, it was definitely the case, like you said, but must have been um, a manufacturer as well, um, um, or, or just the style of the time. I'd say style of the time. Uh, I have a photo in my position that showed the Balambi team way back in the early 1900s and they were uh, striped. Yep. They were vertical stripes and not quarters. Wow. So those, um, you were born, I'm just guessing here, mid-40s um, and you would have probably come over to that Balambi club as, you know, in under-12s, under-13s probably? I was actually 11 when I went to the Balambi club. Yep. Um, having played with Coromel in under 10s and then the first year in under 12s because in those years there was only under 10, under 12, under 14, under 16, in not as it is now, every two years. So every year you were playing against boys older than you. 
So that first year in that new age group was always a difficult one. Yeah, it was, but as I said, we had a good team and we coped. And, and what do you remember of uh, your, your junior career in, in, in terms of coaches that you had um, and, and other players that you played with? Well, my original coach uh, at Coromel was uh, Mr Martin, as we always called him, and then when I went to Blamby it was Stan Gill, and Stan Gill became a long-life friend of me and most guys in Blamby. We all respected him. Uh, and Stan was a local uh, resident. Um, Tony, his son and myself um, were all still good friends to this day, all through football. And was there uh, anything from uh, Stan's time, any sort of sayings or, or phrases that he had that still stick in the memory? Not really, not really, no. Uh, Stan was a, a gentle sort of a man. Um, yeah, no, not really. He was he was a good guy to have as a coach. He was a nice man. And was there any? Um, I think uh, it might have been um, sixty three through some of the research that I've done that he's um, won the under seventeens comp. Um, what do you remember of of that time? Well, we were playing under seventeens uh, on a Saturday, and there was three or four of us playing. Um, in the all-age comp on a Sunday because we wanted a team in the higher league and we had to win the all-age competition in those days. Um, so we played two games every weekend. We played in our junior team on a Saturday and the all-age team on a Sunday and we were fortunate enough to go through and win the all-age comp and get promoted to first division, which at that time was the highest division in Illawarra the following year. So it all worked out for the good. So for... For me and the listeners that aren't as sure of the, I guess, the hierarchy of, of the competitions, you had the Federation comps where at the time you had the likes of South Coast United in the top division and in the second no, no, tier no, of... No, no, Prior to that, it was Coromel Rangers and Wununa. Wununa. Um, when I was playing, they were the two uh, yep. top side and Balgowney. Yep. Um, and I can remember as a boy going and watching uh, Coromel Rangers on a regular basis, Bobby Bignall, Bobby Young, Teddy Drain, and a lot of those guys ended up at our club, believe it or not, <laughs> and helped us out in the early years. So with the... Um, back from the Federation, though, there was then a First Division, which all the the IDSA... State League, it was re- called, and Newcastle were in it, uh, as well as Wollongong and Sydney. And then you had the local comp, yeah. and then under that was the all-age comp, was it? Yeah, and the local comp then only consisted of eight clubs. So yep. they played a three-round competition, eight teams, 21-game season. And so was that um, in the all-age comp, which was sort of underneath that, you had to win that to get promoted, is that correct? That's correct. And so what were some of the other teams in that all-age competition? Yeah. Good question. I think, and I'm not positive now, I know for sure Winona Surf were one. Yep. Um, we had, um, I think it was Colcliffe Colry, I think, might yep. have been one. I'm not exactly sure who was in the all-age competition, but as I said, the first-grade competition only consisted of eight teams. And was obviously, um, for yourself, you're playing both at a junior and senior level, um, and, and you said there was three other guys with you. Um, how did you find that, and, and who was coaching you in that all-age competition? Well, Stan Gill, he was the coach at Miami uh, 
primarily in the first formative years. Yep. Uh, we did have a problem that year uh, in that both of our teams, our under 17s and our all age, made the grand finals. Yep. And there was a problem that uh, if we played in the junior grand final on the Saturday, they were going to stop us playing in the all age grand final on the Sunday. So. Consequently, we had a makeshift side in the all-age grand final that played Winuna Surf. They held yep. them to a draw, and the young boys played in the replay the next week, and we won that one too. So, yeah, they tried to stop us one way, but it didn't work out. We still <laughs> won it. And so was there a good feeling around um, uh, the club, but I'd, I'd call it a community because from what you've said, you had to start from scratch at Blamby with the local community in terms of creating the ground, the sheds, and, and then then all parts of the club, and then... It must have been um, very exciting for the club to then be in the competition proper. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, it was a community um, club at the time. Uh, wasn't only the players. The the ladies in the local community were uh, involved in the club and involved in the club in a big way. And it was a Bulimby community soccer team more than just a soccer team. The whole area, it was a mining area, there wasn't a lot of people lived in Bulimby and it was, it brought everyone together. So that next year, um, and was that sort of 64 or when you you came into the uh, proper Illawarra competition or roughly around there? Yeah, yeah, roughly, oh... No, I think it was before that. I think it was maybe 62. I'm not not exactly sure. Yep. But, yeah, we came into the first grade competition, an eight-team competition, and uh, we struggled for the first year, but by the end of the year, all the young boys had uh, learnt what it was all about, and we even uh, beat the only undefeated team in the competition in our last game, and that was Coromel Rangers. They won the competition, and... Uh, Hadn't lost a game all year, and we actually beat them in the last round. So that was pretty exciting at the time. And very much a, a local derby in the sense of Bulimby versus Coromel. Well, it wasn't in those days, uh, simple because we were the new boys in town, but it did develop into a local derby, yeah. And, and the other teams in the comp were the likes of, was it North Wollongong? Um, uh, there was Coromel, um, trying to think, Helensburg. Yep. Um, I think Russellvale might have had yep. a side in it at the time, the Hendricks brothers and uh, Butchie Baker and those guys. I think they may have had a side in it. I can't really remember who the eight sides were. Um, Probably EPT and Bulleye Workers were in there. Well, EPT were always around when I was a kid. And they <laughs> were a class side, EPT. They were one of the classy sides I've played against in this district. So what, um, and they're... Um, uh, uh, formed by the um, the EPT stands for Electric, Electric Power, Power Transmission, Transmission. and no. they're the the company to build all the uh, the huge towers uh, around Australia in terms of uh, electricity. But what made them uh, a good side? They had a lot of Italian players in their side: the Vaglin yep. brothers, uh, Brunetti. Um, they were quality players, and also they had two of the better Illawarra players, Tommy Kay, who yep. uh, was instrumental in Dapto, and uh, Ian Beaton. They were a class side. And where did they uh, play their games? 
Kumadigi uh, Oval, okay. which doesn't exist, I don't believe anymore, with the actual oval. And what about their colours? Were they predominantly white or in a bit of blue? or? I think they were navy blue and white. You know, they okay. were predominantly white with a bit of navy blue, I believe. And how did um, you guys at Balambi, um in terms of the travel um, to different grounds, up to Helensburg and, and whatnot, how did you find that? Well, it wasn't easy, but we had the local neighbourhood. If you never had a ride, you got a ride. It yep. wasn't hard. But it was it certainly wasn't easy, but it wasn't hard. The neighbourhood dug in, and if you didn't get a ride, uh, someone else would pick you up. It was okay. So you go through that sort of initial reformation in '58 after various inca- incarnations there, and then sort of the club sort of settles itself, establishes itself, both juniors and seniors, you then come into, um, and I can only say from what I've read in newspaper articles, a, a real purple patch of of um, form and, and appearances in semi-finals and grand finals and really being at the top for, for several years um, in that sort of late 60s, early 70s. Did Stan continue to coach or... Did other players come in? What no, sort of happened? Stan coached for quite a long time, but then we had a variety of coaches. Uh, Billy Williams, um, an old Coromel Rangers player. He coached us for a few years. Then Bobby Young, uh, who I might add, both played for Australia at various times. And uh, Craig Young, his son, played rugby league for Australia. So we had a procession of coaches after that that stayed three or four years and then moved on. And they were all good coaches, they were all good club people and all the boys that grew up in Blamby stayed together at Blamby and that developed from a young side of 16, 17 year old until through through to our 30s. I think there was about 13 successive years we made the four. So made a lot of grand finals but uh, we just didn't win them. We, we got there but we couldn't <laughs> win them. I think I won one out of eight. So. And, and, and who were some of the other... Um before we get to some of the players, what about um, Billy Williams as a coach? What do you remember of him? All the coaches we had were hard taskmasters. Um, Bill lived in the house right opposite the ground, which made it easy for him to just <laughs> wander across the road. His house is still there, and uh, they, were, they were all good coaches. Uh, the hardest taskmaster was probably Bobby Young, and yep. he was the coach when we had our good run in the State Cup, and we had some great years together, and uh, Bobby Case just the year um, we actually had the early game at the Sydney Cricket Ground of Australia and Glasgow Rangers which was a highlight of probably a lot of different things um, but Bob was a hard taskmaster um, but they all were genuine football lovers and they had a genuine bunch of guys that enjoyed playing together, we stayed together, our wives were friends, we went to the club together after games, our kids grew up together, and to this day we're all still friends. So that's a, a, do you think that was one of the main ingredients of why you guys were so successful, that that friendship, the, the sort of community-based type club, and then you guys learning as those years went on against the likes of not just being around Australian representative that coached you but playing against the likes of EBT and then and Bulleye and then developing yourselves and getting better and better? Well, 
we got to, the, got to the stage where I think we expected to win. I don't know if we got any better, but uh, we had the mentality that we expected to win. Uh, if we didn't win, it wasn't a great loss, but there were some great seasons. I think one season we went through with a, in the top league with uh, six goals scored against us, and that was after a bloke that wasn't even a Blamby Junior came to the club, Klaus winning. And Klaus came and... To this day, Klaus is one of the boys now. I still go and visit Klaus. He's got some health problems at present, but he's still one of the boys. Once you came to our club, you were one of the boys. And what a uh, before we go on to one of those successful grand finals or the successful one in, in 1970, um, uh, that game you were talking about uh, prior to a, an Australian match against Glasgow Rangers, uh, who was playing and, and how did that come about? It came about... Because the year before we had that great run in the State Cup, we played nine games in the State Cup and we ended up getting beat at the old Bulls paddock at Winuna by Hugo Rye, who went on to win the Sydney Premiership that year. And it was like a thank you by um, New South Wales football the following year to give us that early game in the first round of the State, State Cup. Cup. So it was more or less a thank you because that year before... Every game we played in the last half of the State Cup, we drew the greatest crowds. And the game against Eagle Wright at Winona, it was a packed house. Yeah, I think it was a four and a half thousand crowd, and and that was on a Wednesday night. So that that packed um, house at Winona, four and a half thousand. That shows you, um, you know, what had happened. So just we'll go back to seventy one in a sec. But that, um, how was it to play on the SCG and? And um, it would have been a, a decent crowd as well before a, a Socceroos match. It was one of the greatest crowds ever there. It was before they took the hill away. Yep. Uh, but in saying that, we were the early match. Not everyone was there yep. when we played. So we can say we played at the Sydney Cricket Ground when there was 70,000 people <laughs> there. But they weren't there when we were playing. But there was still a substantial crowd. And uh, there was a substantial number of people from Illawarra went up and watched that game. People that didn't even support Lambie went up for that game. And how was it just to be out on the hallowed turf of the SCG or even being in the change rooms beforehand? Well, it was great at the start of the game, but it wasn't so great at the end because uh, we got beat. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go back to 1970 first, before the, the State Cup run in 1971. So I'm pretty sure it was that year that you won the grand final. And then I think you also won the league and... And were and went on an unbeaten run of sixteen odd games. Um, is it just one of those years where everything goes to plan and all the hard work and sacrifice and and it goes your way? Well, if you win something, I, I'd say it's gone to plan if you win it. <laughs> and uh, I think there was many years. Bulleye and us had a great rivalry, and there was many years where the games could have gone either way and. We're just unfortunate at times it didn't go our way, but in saying that, congratulations to the other team. They, they scored more goals on the day, so that was it. But we did get beat in a replay of the grand final once, uh, which was a bit downheartening because we we thought we'd won the game, but the goal was disallowed, but those things happened. Uh, and we went on and lost the replay. So, yeah. But I won one. That was amazing. <laughs> so that one in 1970 when you did win it because there was a... A couple before that um, that you'd lost was that sort of uh, obviously it is a positive feeling you're elated and whatnot, but was just a sense of okay we've got one guys or uh, 
there was a sense of uh, you, you at last. Um, but I don't think we wanted to stay, stop at one, but that's the way it happened. Uh, can't do anything about it. But that grand final was actually played at Memorial Park and it was a sense of relief to win one. But in saying that, um, we would have probably liked to have won more, but we didn't. That's just football. And and with this State Cup, because um, it was a miraculous um, run in there and, and it wasn't um, a case of as in those cup games whereby you sometimes um, play weaker teams, each team that you played in those uh, first few rounds were second division federation teams which was a league above and 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 they played full strength teams so can you talk a bit about um you know the likes of i think it was concordia uh, manly even big bow Gowney. so what do you remember about those earlier games they were games we wanted to win uh, if you want to win a game bad enough uh, and you go out and you put the effort in uh, sometimes you get the result and we happen to get the results and they weren't Flute results. Uh, the game against uh, Corinthians uh, at, at Seymour Shore Park in uh, Sutherland um, was against a team that was coached by the former South Coast United coach, Graham Barnett. And uh, at the end of the day, um, we're the better side. There's no doubt about that. And it, they got a bit nasty at the end, and one of their guys got sent off. So there was a bit of feeling in the game. They didn't want to lose to us, but they did. Uh, and every game we played, we played Belgiano, we played Manly, we played um, the leading team in Newcastle at the time, and I just can't remember. Well, I think it was, was. Wall's End, it Walls, was. Wall's End, yeah, that's at, Adamstown. at Adamstown. That's the game, Wall's End at Adamstown, and Wall's End were leading the Newcastle competition, which was a pretty strong competition at the time. Uh, remember it vividly because um, it was played on a Saturday. We went up uh, as a club on the Friday. A busload of people went up. We stayed there overnight. But we couldn't enjoy the win. We had to come back because we had to play Fig Tree the next game day in the local comp. And uh, we couldn't get it deferred. So the euphoria of the day was taken away with a quick bus trip home on oh. Saturday night. So we had to play the next day. So. And, and what was it like to... Um uh, I guess beat the local federation team in in Bowgowney because um, that must have given some satisfaction as well. And yeah, it did. But we had a group of blokes that just like winning. I don't think if if they'd have played uh, under ten schoolboys, so <laughs> they, they still like winning, you know. Like, and we trained hard. Um, there was a guy that wrote in the Sydney paper, Tommy Anderson, another ex South Coast United player. He actually wrote well, one day as well, yeah. He, he wrote in the uh, Sydney paper that we were a, a team from a coal mining village that trained on meat pies and schooners at Coromel East Club, and that was far from the truth. Bobby Young was our coach, and we trained hard. You know, like we were an amateur team, but we trained, and, and we enjoyed our training because it was competitive between people. But we, we certainly did go to Coromel East Club after games, but we didn't train on meat pies and schooners. And what, and what were some of those training sessions like? Like, What would you get up to under a session with Bobby Young? Most of our coaches always uh, started with calisthenics yep. and physical work. Players don't like that these days. But we never had many torn hamstrings or torn muscles or this or that. Uh, 
we, we probably had the first 20 minutes, half hour, calisthenics, stretching, and then yeah. we'd get into it. But we didn't shortcut on training. It was always a good hour and a half session yep. every night. And uh, Bob was a hard task master, but he got the result. And and in terms of that, that cup run, um, you're playing against federation teams that are, are spending a lot of money and, and you guys didn't. Um, so, like you said, Tommy Anderson, who former player and coach at South Coast and elsewhere, you know, tried to romanticise it, but um, you know, it was a case of hard work and 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 you deserved to win. So, how was it going into that Wednesday night? Because that game uh, nearly didn't come about against Eagle Ride, where you know you said it yourself, they ended up winning it. So they were one of the best teams. Um, I forget their striker's name, but um, really attack it. He was quoted in the paper that he hadn't been tackled that much in 90 minutes of football. So um, Yugoslav International, Lilia Takak was his name, and we had a guy, Bodj Harper, that just tackled him all night. So, yeah, he actually walked into the shed and congratulated us at the end of the game and in broken English says, I have never been tackled so many times in one game. So, yeah. What do you remember of that sort of four and a half thousand people a Wednesday night? Um, you know, the the soccer bureaucrats nearly bungled it, and the club nearly didn't didn't, didn't play the game um, because of different um, scheduling and where it was going to be played. So, what do you remember of the night? That was pretty exciting. Um, our greatest fear was um, not performing on the night which didn't eventuate. They scored early and uh, when we equalised it was close for the entire game. I think it was seven or eight minutes from the end they finally scored. Uh, and it was a local boy uh, that scored for him. Uh, can't remember his name now. He's a Fern Hill player. But anyhow, he scored the winning goal for him at the end. But you could see they were relieved to win the game. They didn't expect to have to fight as hard as they did and as a matter of fact they went on and won the Sydney Premiership that year 4-0 in the grand final so to get beat 2-1 in the last few minutes we are pretty pleased with ourselves. And what about the crowd because um, a lot of people listening the 40 to 100 and I appreciate the listeners that do listen um, probably wouldn't understand um, I guess the old balls paddock and they know where it was and um, but a lot of us haven't seeing the crowds or being a player there, how was it to be amongst, you know, in a very small suburban ground and four and a half thousand people? The ground is tight, or was tight, I should say, and uh, four and a half thousand people packed in there. I know at one stage they got six or seven thousand people there for a South Coast United game. The four and a half thousand people made a lot of noise to the extent that my mum, who lives in Blamby, there wasn't much between Winona and Blamby in those days. She reckoned she heard the rule when we scored. <laughs> so they made a lot of noise. Uh, it was an exciting night. Um, the, the players that played in it were exhausted at the end because they gave everything. And we were congratulated by pretty much everyone that was there and just shows that we did our best and people appreciated it. And and a and a crowd of um, and I don't think I'm disrespecting the Balambi community, but the four and a half thousand was made up of uh, many other people and supporters of the game. So there was a lot of people out there supporting Balambi on that on that evening and and prior games. I 
have spoken to a lot of people um, since that game that actually went there that aren't Bullingham people. It was a community thing at the time. It was pride of the community that a local team had done so well. So it was really, really good that people appreciated what we'd done and they showed their appreciation by turning up that night. And you guys, like you said, um, uh, the State Federation then um, gave you a game uh, before an Australia versus Glasgow Rangers game. So, you know, that must have, uh, you know, symbolically meant meant a lot and you've described that game. So uh, was it a hard one... um, the following year to, to back that up? It was hard in that it was early on in the year. Um, no excuses, 11 against 11 when we went out, but we weren't the same team that had played the year before, which happens every year in a club yep. early until you get settled. Uh, but one thing I will say about it, uh, that particular game, Laurie Kelly, the local MP, who yep. was also um, the speaker, I think, at that time, yep. Parliament, um, we had a strapper, uh, mudguard they called him, call him and uh, Laurie Kelly came over to the Sydney Cricket Ground and Laurie Kelly was actually helping him strap. So we had the speaker in our dressing room. <laughs> speaker of State Parliament. <laughs> at the Sydney Cricket Ground. So yeah, even that year, the euphoria from the year before he carried over, but yep. we couldn't reproduce. <laughs> yep. So you go on through the 70s... Um, uh, playing there, but uh, and Bulambi, like you said, were uh, perennial semi-finals um, in the top four, and and that must be satisfying to continually do that as a club. But you also um, yourself, the two questions that I guess I had as an aside, you you did represent the Illawarra on 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 quite a few occasions. Um, there was a trip to Tasmania. Did you end up being selected in that Tasmanian squad? I was. Bobby Young was our coach. Uh, I'd broken my ankle halfway through the season, season and it was a touch and go whether I was back before the end of the season. But yes, I did go to Tasmania. Um, my dad uh, was secretary of the district at the time. He actually travelled with us his first time ever on a plane, which didn't go <laughs> to, down too well with him. But yeah, we went to Tasmania as a Nullawarra representative side. We played a game in Hobart and a game in Launceston. Um, and how did uh, you guys find that? And how did you? I think you'd you'd been part of Illawarra squads before, but how did you find playing against playing with the best, the best from other clubs that you'd been opponents, um, and then travelling to Tasmania? Well, the representative sides I'd played in the representative sides pretty much all my life, uh, and we had a lot of boys from Bulambi in that representative side, um, so. Uh, it wasn't strange in that you were playing half the team with your, your teammates anyhow, you know, from your own local club. Um, and unfortunately, what happened in those days, there were representative teams picked every year and every year there was a reciprocal game with Canberra's representative yep. side, which has fallen by the wayside in the last year, you know, 20 years, I expect. But we had a representative side from Illawarra Soccer every year. And it's a shame that it has fallen by the wayside because I think we could perform uh, really, really well against other areas, but we don't get the chance to show that. And I don't know uh, if it could be brought back, if the 
timetable would allow you to schedule it in. Yep. But it's something that should be looked at. And and what about um, you know playing in Hobart and Launceston? Were, is it against fellow representative teams or is it against club teams? No, they were representative teams. There was a yep. Hobart representative team and a Launceston representative team. And uh, it was a trip. It was, I think, four or five days we went down for. Um, and we flew from Hobart back to Launceston for the Launceston game. So uh, there were f- a few... Uh, local celebrities went down with us, you know, people from the Wollongong area that followed soccer, they booked a flight and went down, so it it was good for Illawarra soccer, but like I said, it's fallen by the wayside over the years. And and in terms of um, other other notable games, um, I guess when you represent um, your area, you're always proud, but you also uh, were part of a game in in the mid-70s, I think 76, where, where Chelsea had come out for for a second time, and, and Adrian Ringland's um, Ringland had coached you and, and, and many other Illawarra representatives. What do you What do you remember of that game? And um, yeah, it was in 1974. Chelsea came out, and uh, we were fortunate enough um, to be able to play them as a representative side. Uh, we played in Wollongong Showground, which at that time was still a dog track to. Um, the game nearly never went ahead because uh, it was due to be played on the Wednesday night and yep. it absolutely poured rain and the game was game was cancelled but luckily uh, Chelsea agreed to play it on the Friday night so we did get to play against Chelsea as a representative side. Uh, I was fortunate enough to captain the side that night and uh, fortunate enough to score a goal against them so that felt good. Um, the Chelsea side had internationals in it. Peter Bonetti, the goalkeeper, was the English goalkeeper and the future English captain and Manchester United player uh, Butch Wilkins played wow. that night Ian Wil- uh, and his brother Ian. So Ray Wilkins and Ian Wilkins both played against us that night. So it wasn't just a, a Mickey Mouse side that they'd brought out really? They, they had brought good, out their stars? Yeah, they had a good side. Um, Graham Hutchison played up front, very athletic in the air and uh, we got beat 4-1 and I think he might have scored three with his head. He was very athletic in the air and uh, he knew how to put them away. And and what about yourself uh, when it went into the, the back of the onion bag? Uh, it must have been, a, I guess, a, a weird feeling in terms of you know how to score goals. You, you are an attacking player, but... Um, to score against Chelsea, um, it must have been one of the, I guess, surreal memories that you have. Yeah, it's it's good, but it was just another goal, I expect, <laughs> except it was against a, a quality side. But uh, to be honest, it happened, but I can't remember much about it. <laughs> I really can't remember much about it, but uh, I know at the time oh, I was pretty ecstatic about it. But if you ask me how I scored it, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and, and and I always, um, we're a while into this interview now, and I always uh, forget to talk about um, positional stuff. So um, for the listeners that, that don't know, um, where did you start out your career? And, and in these games for Blamby and, and representative teams, where did you play? To be honest, uh, I don't know where I played. Sometimes <laughs> I was all over the place, you know, like, <laughs> But when Bobby uh, Young had us and we had that good side in the State Cup, I had Wayne Ronald up front. Uh, we used to play um, like a 4-3-3 in defence and a 4-2-4 yep. four, four, four in attack and I was a bloke up and down the middle of the park. So um, most of the boys in the side had a position they called their own yep. and that was me up and down the middle of the park and I 
I never had the ball skills of a Tony Gill or you know Tony Gill in our side was probably the ball player and um, I just was a work was a workhorse I think up and down the middle. So, so you, you you come out of the seventies and into the eighties and, and and you're still playing. Um, had you always um, been part of the the club in terms of helping out, but when did you uh, start start taking on um, apart from playing? which you did up until the late 80s, I think, um, start doing some other committee-type duties? Good question. I can't remember. I just seem to have been doing it all my life. I'm still doing it. Uh, I can't really remember. You know, like uh, the actual ground itself, uh, when the neighbourhood centre was built and we had to move the ground further north, um, we happened to obtain some uh, railing, pipe, to go around inside the fence and I was still playing then when we put those pipes around with uh, Derek Henderson who was another player in our side and Derek and myself we dug the holes we put the inside fence up and I can remember back to then but as a kid um, our 50th anniversary uh, book showed us as kids clearing stones off the field so we've always been down there doing something Um, um, if it wasn't a big job, sometimes it was a small job. But being fortunate enough that most of the people involved in the club over the years did the same sort of thing. I wasn't the only one. A yep. lot of people uh, hopped in and did what they had to do and it was just an everyday thing. You never thought about it. So you came uh, into the, that late 80s. Uh, um, I'm guessing um, I, I couldn't really find too much, but it was the late 80s that you ended up finishing up playing is that roughly around the time that you finished up playing I can't remember when we finished playing I can remember the coach at the time was Tony Gill so we'd gone the full circle and I remember the last game I played was at uh, Crinny Oval yep. um, I can remember walking in the shoes taking the boots off and putting them in the bin and thought that will do and uh, a couple of years later um I was coaching the first grade and we played at Lysart's Oval, um, which is now college ground, Um, and the reserve grade were shorter players, and in those days we used to register the coach as a player to be covered for insurance purposes, and so I was a registered player, hadn't had a game, we fronted down there, the reserve grade were short of players, so I ducked across the road to Fictory Shopping Centre and got a pair of boots (laughs) and went over and played, but that was the last game, you know, like, bodies... Not up to it, I thought, at the time, so that's it. So helping out reserve grade um, was probably one of the last games. Because I did see um, there was, uh, um, in one of the uh, newspaper articles or whatnot that you'd sent through, there was something about you and, and Klaus Winnig, uh, you know, playing a reserve grade game or coming off the bench or something in that late 80s. Yeah, well, that was... You know, I was first grade coach and wore short, so that was it. Fill in. And, and what about um, your coaching career? Um, how many years did you roughly do it and, and, and how did you approach your, your coaching? I don't know. I didn't do a lot of coaching. I was, my main coaching was in the youth grade side. I did coach yep. uh, one year. I, I filled in halfway through the year. Uh, I took over the coaching job. But I actually... Um, coached uh, an under-18 side in Premier League uh, that went on and won the, the grand final. They were all a bunch of young kids. They, they played two games every weekend too. They played under-16s one day and um, youth, grade. youth grade the next day. 
they went on and won the state championships that side about five years in a row. They were a good side. But they doubled up and that was in the years where Scotty Chipperfield was coming through the club and Ted Stevenson, who was helping me coach the under-18 side, used to pick up Scotty and bring him to the game every week. And as a kid, you knew this kid was going to make it. You know, like, so you can just see sometimes that yeah. the, and some the side, kids have got it. Yeah, and the side we had, he... It was only about 12, 13 at the time, and the side we had was a good side, a really, really good side, and they won two competitions that year. They won the under-16 competition, they were under-16 state champions, and they won the Illawarra under-18 Premier League competition, all in the one year. And what about um, now, like you said, the last, you know, uh, 20-odd years, you're, you're still around at the club um, in, in various capacities and, and always helping out. How have you found it? Um, doing less of, I guess, the coaching and the playing and and just being involved uh, at the club itself? It's a lot easier. <laughs> In some ways, it's a lot easier. Um, the coach... Coaches we've had over the years, we've had some good coaches. We've got a good one now in uh, Andrew Payne. Um, but coaching in Illawarra football, um, you're on a hiding to nothing. You're on a hiding to nothing simply because there's some that have and some that have not. Uh, it makes things a little bit distorted as, as far as balance uh, in your competition. The same teams every year uh, are strong. Um, we just need to get back to what it was before where it was an even footing. It's not like that now. And, yeah, some teams suffer. You get a good player, he's gone next year somewhere else. It's just not an even playing field anymore. And if we, um, if I uh, get out the, a sort of a, a list of uh, uh, different players, um, would you be able to sort of describe... Um, uh, and, and I apologise if I don't get the names right mm. with some of these guys, but, um, you know, talk about um, about how they went and where they played um, for the listeners. So um, uh, in that 1970s team, uh, Bob Margerson. Bob Majerison. There you go. Yeah. You know, Bob's still a friend of ours. We still get together every six or eight weeks. He's part of the group that him and his wife... Um, yeah, we're still all good friends. And where did he play? What was his position? Uh, Bob, he was mainly in the fullback role somewhere, yep. around the back somewhere. And what about uh, Fritz Heaven? Yeah, still part of our group. Uh, Fritz and Carol still go out with us. They still, they're one of your locals at Bally, right opposite the football field yep. they live. Uh, but we're still good friends. Fritz was a fullback, hard as nails, uh, pretty quick, but yeah, fullback. Noel Wilkinson? Yeah, Noel's still part of the group, lives out the rule. Uh, Noel um, came into our club late um, and just fitted, fitted in. Um, used, he'd play anywhere. Okay, more of a utility player. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Ronald, who, who you spoke <coughs> about before, a striker. Yeah, well, Wayne came to our club from Coromel as a reserve grade player from Coromel and uh, fitted straight in and he was leading goal scorer year after year after year uh, but yeah he was a striker he played up front and um, still good friends part of the group uh, Klaus Winnig yeah Klaus came to our club late in his career um, central defender hard as nails um, not many people went past Klaus still good friends part of the group but unfortunately Klaus has got a few health problems at present but he lives at um, Mount Terry now in Albion Park but we're still good friends 
uh, Robert Carver, is it? Rob Carver. He played in the Premiership side. He used to play right half. Um, Rob now owns multiple caravan parks uh, down Bateman's Bay. Him and his wife, he moved down there a year or two after he won the Premiership. Give football away, moved down there and has lived there ever since. Tony Gill? Yeah, part of the group. Um, Tony played uh, in what was called left half in those days. He was the ball player in the team and uh, still good friends. Lives at Winona. Um, his dad was a coach. Um, grew up with Tony. Actually lived at his place for a while. <laughs> and, and what about uh, Derek Henderson? Yeah, Derek played in the middle of the defence with Klaus. Uh, he used to do the sweeping role. Lightning quick. Uh, so anything Klaus missed, which wasn't much, Derek picked up. Um, Blamby boy, and he lives probably 100 yards from the football ground still. But, yeah, still still around. Graham Cram? Yeah, Graham's still part of our group. He was a goalkeeper, um, lived in Blamby, uh, actually lives over near Russell football now, in football field now. Um, but him and his wife, still part of the group. Greg Peterson? Greg was a goalkeeper too. He came to our club uh, later on in his career. Um, I don't see Greg that often now. Uh, I believe he lives at Albion Park, but um, yeah, we catch up once every blue moon, but he's not part of the group that goes here all together now, not because he's not invited, but he's, he's just, um, I think he's at Albion Park, but I'm not sure. Uh, Jim Ford? Another one of the group. Uh, Jim used to play pretty much out wide on the right. Um, he lives at Albion Park now, not far from Klaus. Um, still part of the group when we go out. Jim and his wife Sue, part of the group. And Earl Draghi? Earl Drage. Drage? Yeah. Uh, last Australia Day, Earl Drage fronted out with us. We all go to Tony's place on Australia Day. Earl was there. Um, he lives at Blamby still. He was a fullback, hard as nails. And I guess um, throughout this whole interview, um, you've spoken about um, uh, seeing uh, past committee people and, and players regularly. It must make you very proud and, and um, to still hold these friendships for such a long period of time. And like you said, not just yourselves, but their wives or partners and, and families and, and, you know, to meet up on you know, a, a public holiday like Australia Day, it must must sit really well with you guys that you can, you've still got this bond, this friendship that was formed through through the soccer club. Oh, it's magic. Yeah, you know, like, I don't think there'd be many clubs uh, have the bond that our players have got now for so many years. Um, players swap and change clubs uh, quite regularly these days so you don't get the chance to form that bond we were together for you know, 10-15 years um, every year we didn't worry about who was going to play with our club that year, we knew that the blokes were it coming back it was a core of blokes, they were there every year and you didn't have to go out and chase a player to strengthen your team they were there, training starts January, they were there in January and that was it and when we have a day out now, we'll get a phone call, one person will organise it, such and such a day at such and such a place and we're there. And it's just been that way for and years. And things just start off as if it was five minutes ago. Oh, of course, of course. The other one, uh, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, uh, there was probably 
and I can only ask you, not the other Bulambi players, but um, I would have thought that at, that at different periods of time that maybe some of you guys were um, offered to play in in the State League um, or offered by other clubs. Did you ever have any other offers um, to go elsewhere, and, and what and who were they from? When I was about 17 year old, I played Nillawarra Repsol against South Coast United. That was uh, the year they won the Premiership. I think 63. And after the game, uh, Adrian Ringlane scored a goal and the, the death that night to beat the Nillawarra Repsol 2-1. And that was the side that won a Premiership. So they asked me to go to South Coast the next year. Yep. Uh, but at the time, no licence, no car. I was an apprentice at the Steelworks, lived at Bulambi. To get to Winerna from Bulambi, you had to go up to the highway, get a bus to Winerna. I went out there. I had six weeks out there. Um, I played eight games, but one of the games was against Hakoa at Wentworth Park. Very hard to get to Wentworth Park. Another game was against uh, Arpia at the S. Marks Field. Um, I just didn't have the ability to get around and it was said that I never made it. Well, maybe I didn't make it because I didn't go on with it, but I gave it six weeks. I did play eight games in first grade and that was when they had three grades in those years, first reserve and youth grade. And I did get eight games in at South Coast United, but then I decided it was too hard. I was an apprentice at the Stewart. No so employment's important and, and obviously, you know, it's hard, uh, to, hard to get jobs. So. And... Still in all, even from that short time there, Adrian Ringlands, I met, he was playing there at the time. Uh, that was the year Max Tolson came back from England. He'd been in England, they came back. Uh, Barry Salisbury, well, Adrian Ringlands and Barry Salisbury wouldn't be too nice of guys. They made me feel welcome at South Coast United as a, a young player, but it was just too hard. And was Jim Kelly still coaching then, or had Jim no. Harris taken over? Or? Adrian Barnett. Okay. Not Adrian Barnett, Graham Barnett. Adrian yep. Barnett, all the way. <laughs> Graham Barnett was the coach, and uh, Graham Barnett um, completely different coaching criteria to Kelly. Kelly was a footballer. Graham Barnett was a hustle and bustle sort of a coach. And, and what about yourself? You, like you said, you were uh, relatively comfortable. You'd played games. So did they? Did the South Coast United understand that? Okay, well. It is what it is, and there was no hard feelings there? Because well, they obviously wanted you yeah. if they were playing, yeah? Yeah, I played a game against you, right, uh, at Balls Paddock, and after the game I just thought, no, and I walked up to the old dressing shed that used to be up behind the hotel, yep. and as I walked past Travis Birch, I said, look, mate, I want to transfer. That was straight after the game, and I said, I want to transfer back to Lambie, and I went back. Um, maybe... If I had a car and things were easier, but family commitments at the time and yep. not being able to get to places. Uh, as a matter of fact, the game we played at ES Marks Field, uh, there was a young goalkeeper at, Winuna, at South Coast United at the time by the name of Dave Maguire. And uh, when we had to get up to ES Marks Field that night, we had to get a cab from Winuna at the Dave's place, that's the rule, and we got his dad's car to drive to ES Marks Field. Well, I just couldn't keep doing that sort of thing, you yep. know. And, Dave Maguire uh, ended up leaving South Coast the following year and he went to Arpia Leichhardt and became a life member. He was their goalkeeper for probably 15 years. Um, so it's not always the case of um, necessarily uh, talent or ability. It's sometimes the logistics of how you've got to get there. And in those days, you still there was a lot of travel every second week. Oh, yeah. 
and 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 the cost of doing such yeah well the travel was the main thing yeah like cost is part of travel I expect but uh, if you haven't got a car and you haven't got a licence and you've got to get to Sydney every other week you know like I remember going to Marconi's Oval Marconi to play there in that period of time and uh, I got a ride with a guy we couldn't even find the Oval it was out in the middle of <laughs> paddocks and everything in those days you know like a brilliant setup, but we couldn't even find the Oval you know and yeah logistics made it pretty hard for me. So there's no regrets there in terms of you know oh, you, no. you could have been part of that but it was what it was. Was there any other um, locally or, or later on um, in your career where other clubs, um, be it state league or non-state league, still wanted you to come across? Yeah, many a time. Uh, I'd been approached by Coromel to go and play at Coromel, but I actually went and trained there at the start of one year, but yeah, miss your mates and yeah, go yep. back. Didn't only stayed there for a few weeks with Dennis Kerr and a few of them that I knew there. Yep. Um, but as a 16-year-old, believe it or not, your club, Algiani, I actually yep. uh, went over there and trained a bit, but that was when the Greeks took it over. It was called Hellas at the time. Yeah, it was called Wollongong Olympic Hellas and yeah. Algiani for yeah, a couple well, of years. That was 64, 65. Yeah, well, they actually came and got me, and I went and trained there a couple of nights. And uh, I, I like the people, but the draw was back at Wollongong. So, yep. Yeah, so that the only couple of occasions, and... Uh, I was quite happy to do what I did at Blamby, uh, no regrets, it's great. And do you think um, a lot of the other players as well, they probably would have been approached in terms of, especially after, say, 71, for example, where the whole team is obviously playing well enough to beat second division team, surely um, they must have been approached as well? Well, I can't speak for the other players, but... Uh, I would have expected them to have been. Uh, yep. you, you got a goal scorer like Wayne Ronald, a prolific goal scorer. Wayne did eventually leave and went to Balgowney. Yep. Um, it didn't work out too well for Wayne. I think he ended up at Victory, him and Luke, because they only lived 100 yards from Victory Ground. They, when they got married, they bought a house and they moved yep. to Victory. It was close handy. You know? so, uh, but, yeah, Wayne and Luke went there. So, yeah, there would have been players approached and there would have been... Um, Probably uh, four or five over the years did move on. And and what about um, over the years now? And you've been there um, a considerable amount of time, um, you know, over sixty years. Um, some of the other people that are involved with the club, in terms of over the years, in terms of committee or strappers or people that help out at the canning, men and women that you know normally we don't talk about in these interviews. Uh, what are some of the names and, and what sort of roles or jobs did they do? It's been a lot over the years uh, and as the years go by uh, the people that you get seem to stay a shorter and shorter amount of time because they move on. There's a lot of people involved in clubs and have been over the years because their sons and that were involved and if their sons move on a lot of their those people move on too whereas we had a stable group where we all stayed together uh, so Kim Johnson played with us, Joycey Johnson, his wife, his mum I should say, she's a life member, yep. she was involved uh, for years and years. Uh, my dad was involved until he went to district football, um, Stan Gill, his family were involved, um, Kim Johnson and uh, his mum and dad were in- involved for a long, long, long time, but you haven't got the stability in clubs now that you had in those days, so people move on. And basically... Um, you look around clubs now 
and you look at the older people there, and I, I in particular take notice of this, you think how long are they going to keep doing this? Mm, definitely. And it worries me that in years to come, um, when these old people are finished with club, and when I say old people, I'm one of them, uh, we can't keep doing it forever. But there's no younger core group coming through to take their place. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I... Uh I think I've been quoted by, when I've talked to a few other uh, committee people like yourself, that I think um, the 24 clubs will unfortunately go down to probably 12 or 16 in the next 10, 15 years because of because of that um, gap in uh, committee people and volunteers, unfortunately. I and that'll be sad in some respects. I think uh, we've lost our way a little bit in that. You know, like we now have a 35s and a 45 comp, and they were the people that were involved in your club. Now they have the opportunity to keep playing the game, which good luck to them. Yeah. Uh, but they were the people that fell into your committee roles. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I actually went to a World Gold and Oldies Championship once on the Gold Coast, where there were 72 teams from all over the world, and I went with the South Coast United Old Boys, and I spoke to a guy up there. They had a 35 and 45s comp on the Gold Coast, but Gold Coast, but it was run as a nighttime comp. And okay. it's still allowed the players to be involved, involved. with their club. And it may, the that may be something Sunday. to look at, you know, like, so that we don't lose these people. Because that's what's happening now, we're losing them. Yeah, it's definitely, like you said, there's no easy answers, but we've got to, we've got to search for something. What about um, now we're sort of finishing up in that sense of the interview, but um, you must be proud of your, your lifetime association with the club. Um, and I guess over 60 years it's hard to pick out but was there a period of time where you can think back of and go well um, you know it was always fun even though there was hard work but this is the period I look back and I was at my best as a player not really uh, as, as far as the club and the people in general the late 60s into the early 70s was a great time to be in the club uh, in the like I said we're still friends now there are a bunch of people that clicked our wives clicked our kids are still friends so everything clicked into place and that's probably even though we we didn't win a lot we were there competing all the time like I said eight grand finals and I won one but they were just a great bunch of people the committee were a great bunch of people, the players, their wives, their kids, uh, just a great bunch of people. We've got a bunch there now uh, of older players that uh, remind me a lot of that, you know, like your tour priests and yep. all that bunch now. Their wives and kids go to the club after the game. I haven't seen that for years in our club and it's a privilege to see it yeah, back definitely. again. Because um, so that's what sporting clubs are about in terms of exactly, mixing yeah. together, not just... Yeah. players and committee and coaches but families as well yeah well the, the bunch we've got there now they're an older bunch of blokes uh, they know how to mix and enjoy themselves they're a good bunch and and what about the the club now um, uh, touch wood uh, and all things being equal if that run of form continues it although you've still got to play Unandera and and that's, um, that's and Helensburg mm-hmm. so there's still some top four games to be played um, I don't want to sort of dive into committee stuff. In, it might not even be discussed, but um, is it a hard thought to think that if you win, will you go up or will you stay where you are? Because you know yourself in the last uh, few years, it's been hard for clubs that go up 
and then come down as well. So um, cool. it must be something that you guys are, are wrangling with or even personally. Again, what you, what you said there is true. You toss and turn, thinking about where we go. It's not my decision. I'm part of the club. It's not my decision. Last time uh, we were in that situation, we got all the players and committee there and we discussed it over a yep. barbecue, etc., etc. But again, I think we fall down in the makeup of our competitions. This is where it hurts a lot. If you go up to Premier League, you've got to drop a team. Yep. If, you, if you get relegated, you come down. They say you've got to find a team. That's not true. You've got to find two teams because in a lot of the occasions, your first grade players, a lot of them still believe they're Premier League players and yep. don't come down with down. you. Yep. So it breaks clubs. Yep. And I think until we get a bit of uniformity uh, in the competitions, I think it will keep breaking clubs. And if you have a look at every club that's come been relegated from Premier League and come back down, they've struggled. Yep. There's no easy answer. Um, but something needs to be done to make the transition up and the transition and, uh, down. And back to, a, I guess, a, a lighter note, um, you know, uh, over the years you would have seen some uh, some funny stuff happen on and off the field. Um, is there any sort of uh, stories like that that you can uh, enlighten us with um, about, you know, something that might have happened in a game or a training um, or, you know, on one of these State Cup trips um, where someone's uh, done something silly um, or, or done something on the field and you just laugh or the boys have still have a laugh about it today? There's probably a lot, but I can't recall one just offhand. It's <laughs> probably with that one, but uh, probably the only one that was written in the paper, so it's not new, was uh, in that State Cup um, episode when we played at Adamstown. Yep. against Walls End. Uh, like I said, we had a bus went up on the Friday, the day before the game, and on the Saturday morning we had a warm-up in the uh, big U Butte Park at Newcastle, and it was written in the paper that the, uh, the people from Newcastle wouldn't have been happy about us training on the U Butte Park you know, at the <laughs> back of the main street. But, no, nah, there was lots of little things, but I can't remember them just offhand. Probably not the best to be spoken about anyway. <laughs> That's fair enough. I respect that. Um... Yourself, um, you spoke about it before, um, that, you know, you, you, you're getting on in terms of age and, and um, you won't always be at the club, um, but I think that you'd probably say the same, that um, while you've still got the energy, you'll, you'll be involved at the oh, club? Of course, of course. As a matter of fact, uh, I've got to get down tomorrow and roll it again. <laughs> you blokes wrecked it. <laughs> So you still enjoy the game, you still enjoy being involved and you still, um, like you said, you've sort of got a group of former teammates that you regularly catch up with but you're still involved with the club and, and making new friends and, and associations so you still obviously get a lot of joy from the game. Of course, of course. You wouldn't go if you didn't enjoy it. Yep. And I think uh, it's more the company uh, keeps your mind active and when you're... If you're my age and you um, hang around older people on a regular basis, you become set in your ways. This way, with a football club, I can go there, you're associating with kids 16, 17, 18 yeah. year old, you, you, you hear all the latest stuff, uh, and I think it keeps your mind active to you know, diverse yourself amongst different ages, but I don't want to lock myself away uh, in, <laughs> in, a a nurse, in, in a nursing home just yet. <laughs> So, no, it's it's good. And I recommend it to anyone. You know, if you can possibly do it and your body allows it, do it. 
and uh, finally, um, could you ever envisage um, back in that sort of late 50s period um, after playing a couple of years of juniors at, at Coromel there and then coming across to Balambi that it became what it became and that you've achieved with many generations of different types of people in the community what's what's happened at Balambi? Could you ever envisage that it is this community sort of organism, I guess, that's still alive, that's still creating a lot of joy and, and competing in the local league? Well, what it has done uh, for a lot of people over the years is give them a weekend entertainment, and those people now, uh, a lot of them are older than me. Uh, I just hope that the next, the generations coming through now enjoy the same experience. Um, if they don't, uh, that's their fault because the opportunity's there. Yep. The grounds are there. All they've got to do is front up on a Saturday afternoon and watch and support the local team and you will get enjoyment out of it. If you want to lock yourself away and do nothing on a Saturday afternoon, so be it. But I tell you what, it's a good afternoon and they're a good bunch of people and if you want to go down, we'd welcome you there. Well, let's finish on that. And uh, Banksy, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you for allowing me into your home. I, I deeply uh uh, respect that and honour that and um, thank you very much appreciate it thank you well there you go another episode done and dusted a big thanks to Robert or Banksy for allowing me into his home and giving me time to get some of his memories onto the recorder I deeply respect the time he gave me and overall, I respect the career he has had and continues to have with Balambi. Finally, thanks again to the listeners for your support, and please keep listening. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.